it's not about making more money. But is there a is there a profit side to it at all, or is that just completely ignored? Well, no, it, it is completely ignored in that we don't have to pay attention to it because mm-hmm. it is impossible. The laws of nature suggest that if you can do things more efficiently than your competition, you're going to have more profit. It is impossible for you not to do things with more efficacy and not make more money than the guy you're competing against. It's impossible. It's the laws of nature. Welcome to the Upflip Podcast, where the best minds in business break down their success into steps you can take right now. I'm your host, Alex Freeman, and today we're talking about lean manufacturing and how it can transform any business with the one and only lean machine, Paul Akers. A self-described lean maniac, Paul is an expert at eliminating waste from every process. The secrets he's going to share in this episode transformed his business from a garage workshop into FastCap, a multi-million dollar construction supply company with thousands of distributors worldwide. Paul will tell you exactly how applying the lean principle for just two seconds a day can decrease waste in your company and cut your costs in half. Ready to make more money by spending less time and resources? Then stay with us. You'll walk away with strategies and tools that separate unhealthy businesses from the healthiest ones around. We don't want you to miss a second of the mind-blowing content we've got lined up for you, so hit that subscribe button. You'll get fresh insights and cutting-edge tools from leading entrepreneurs and business owners every week. But for now, let me introduce you to one of the most admired voices in the business world, Paul Akers. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Alex. That was a very warm intro. I appreciate that. Hey, you know, only the best introductions for the best kind of guests. So for any <laughs> viewers who who don't know you, can you briefly tell us about your experience as an entrepreneur and how that brought you to lean manufacturing? Well, I'm a super average person. As I always like to start off by saying, I didn't go to Harvard. I don't have an MBA. I was able to experience the American dream, basically came up with a simple product in my garage at night worked my butt off along with my wife and developed that into a company that does tens of millions of dollars all over the world and has launched me into helping other organizations around the world learn how I did it. I wrote five books now. Uh, The most famous one is Two Second Lean. It's in uh, 19 languages, I believe. And we have tens of thousands of companies around the world who are practicing the exact strategy that I deployed in my company or started to deploy about 20 years ago and with wild, outrageous success from small little shops in Africa to multi-billion dollar oil industry companies. Well, you just you just kind of uh, mentioned it there. Uh, biggest companies in the world, smallest companies in the world. Uh, could you explain uh, just a little bit what lean manufacturing is and how it can apply to a small business specifically? Well, Alex, I have given so many different definitions of that, but I'm going to give a different definition today than I've ever given before. So I hope your listeners are not offended by what I'm going to say. Lean manufacturing is the ability to look at what a fool you are and how foolish you are in the way you conduct your life, organize your company, and utilize the resources that have been given to you. And it is only those few people, that 2% of the people that are able to look introspectively at themselves and say, that's really stupid. Why am I doing that? I need to change. Most people are very proud and don't want to change. Mm -hmm. So lean manufacturing is the ability to first recognize you're not so smart 
and you don't have all the answers, and then deploy a simple strategy of learning to see waste so that you can eliminate it through small improvements every day that come from everyone, not the leadership. But everyone throughout the organization is looking at what they're doing and saying, that's stupid. Why am I doing that foolish thing? How could I make that better? How could I adjust that? And they do that on a daily basis. And that single concept will transform your life, your business, and everything you do. And it will be the greatest journey you'll ever embark on. Mm, mm. I absolutely, I love everything about what you just said, um, especially because I think that for so many lean manufacturing and lean has become such a buzzword that Mm -hmm. people aren't necessarily walking into their business and, uh, you know, actually looking at what they're doing uh, poorly and can do better. So as somebody uh, dives into that, running their business lean, what kind of goals are they setting themselves? What are the goals of lean manufacturing? Well, the number one goal is going to be shocking again to your listeners. It is not to make more money. It is simply to take the people that you're responsible for on a daily basis and nurture and grow them. We say to grow people. Because lean thinkers, two-second lean thinkers, understand that their most valuable resource is their people. It is not their money and their cash flow. Mm -hmm. They teach you at the MBA courses and the business schools that your most valuable resource is your cash. And, you know, you've got to have cash to run a business. But the problem, the, the, the funny thing about it is for a lean organization, a two-second lean organization, we don't worry about cash. Cash is a byproduct of the excellence that we produce on a daily basis. Mm. So our only really KPI is the development of our people. Two-second lean is a human development system. Mm. I really love love that concept of developing that that people talent. Um, and you say that it's not about it's not about making more money, but is there a is there a profit side to it at all, or is that just completely ignored? Well, no, it, it is completely ignored in that <laughs> we don't have to pay attention to it because mm-hmm. it is impossible. The laws of nature suggest that if you can do things more efficiently than your competition, you're going to have more profit. It is impossible for you not to do things with more efficacy and not make more money than the guy you're competing against. It's impossible. It's the laws of nature. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I mean, uh, if, you can, if you can cook a hot dog that's delicious, if you will, in 30 seconds and deliver to your customer and your competition's doing it in a, in a minute and a half or four minutes and, you know, Half of the condiments are being thrown out. He gives you three ketchups, two mustards, and, you know, half of that's being thrown in the trash. But you don't do that. You don't give the extra packs of ketchup. You don't give the extra packs of mustard. Mustard. You only give the customer exactly what they want. You don't give them 10 napkins. You give them one napkin. Then how could you not make more money, right? So our focus is not on making more money. It's on eliminating waste. And delivering to the customer exactly what the customer wants with the greatest efficacy possible. So, so for someone who's just starting to to go lean in a smaller business, what's how do they get started? What are the best first tools or process for them to start using? 
Mm, very good question. Well, <laughs> the the first the first tool is that's very difficult because I want to give you the tool, but I really want to tell you what you need to do. What you need to do is be prepared for a brain transplant that everything you thought was true is not. And you're going to be completely changed in the way you look at everything. So you not, you need to do that. And then now we'll transition into your very specific question. What are the tools <laughs> that someone utilizes? There are really three tools. And they're very simple. The first tool is something we call three-essing, which means to sweep, to sort, and to standardize. So if you looked at my laptop right now, you know, I have 4,000 contacts. I, I make thousands of videos. I have thousands of videos online. My laptop is totally clean. My, my desktop is totally clean. Everything's organized. I haven't got clutter and crap everywhere. My, I, I receive over 300 messages from people around the world every day. All my messages are answered all the time. I rarely ever have any emails in my inbox. And if I do, it's just, it's all garbage, but it's just always clean. And that is sorting. So we sweep and sort and standardize everything we do every day, whether it be digitally, the way my laptop is organized, I sort through everything. I'm constantly sweeping it, cleaning it eliminating all the crap that accumulates that we never do anything about. And then we push our way through it on a daily basis. We do that both on the shop floor. We do it digitally. We do it in the paper trail that we do. We do it in all aspects of our life. So we're constantly sweeping, sorting, and standardizing. And we do that for a prescribed amount of time every day. For the first half hour of the day before anybody ever works, all 50 of our employees sweep, sort, and standardize. So if you walked into our facility, it is immaculate. Hmm. Not only is it immaculate, it's about seven or eight years old, and it looks significantly better than when it was brand new. So instead of denigrating, like most companies do, because of this sweeping, sorting, and standardizing, we're constantly finding problems because we keep everything so clean. We're constantly sorting through all the crap and then realizing, why did we buy that? Why did we waste our resources on that? Because we're looking at our stupidity. Remember I said, we're looking at our foolishness. Hmm. We're confronting our foolishness on a daily basis. And then we're creating new standards of not to buy things until they get to certain levels or to uh, consult with other people before we do buy things so we're not accumulating all this crap and clutter. So the 3 Sing process is a deep, reflective process that occurs in our company on a daily basis before we ever work. So everything's improving. Everything's always clean. No clutter is ever accumulating. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the most powerful tools. And remember, I said, you have to confront your foolishness. This 3Sing is the tool. You asked me what the tool was. It's the tool to confront yourself with your stupidity on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Okay. So that's the first tool. Is that clear? Or do you want me to elaborate more on that? No, that's, I mean, I guess my, my actual follow-up question to that is that seems uh, not necessarily easy to implement in a smaller company, but, you know, certainly more straightforward uh, if you have fewer employees, if you have uh, to sure. kind of get them into that mode. Uh, if someone is, you know, just waking up to this, uh, that is running a larger company, uh, how do they, how do they get started on that process where there may already be a well-established quote unquote way we do things that is generating waste? How do they start to wake themselves up mm -hmm. and their 
coworkers and employees to the foolishness that might be there. Right. Well, the way you do it, again, it's, very, it's a very simple answer and it's very manageable. Let's say you have a company of a thousand employees. I, I'll, deal, I'll deal with the company that I'm working with right now, a Valoric Tubaloy in the oil and gas industry. 10, 20, 30,000 people globally in four continents. Okay. How did they do it? One company, one location, one leader. Hmm. They tested it. They kind of figured out what it felt like, what it looked like. And they created such incredible operational excellence in this one location in Houston that all the other locations globally looked at what they were doing and they said, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this in my life. The president comes from France. The president comes from, from all the different continents, whether it be from Mexico or, for, or from Brazil. And they see what they're doing. They go, we need to do that. Hmm. So the answer to your question is you start very slowly and with one small little group or microcosm of your organization, you figure out how it works and what it looks like. And then as you become good at it, you slowly roll it out through the rest of the organization. But you never try to do something like this sweepingly mm. because it will not work. You will fail miserably because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Is there, um, as, as you know, with, with a company like that, is there a particular like type of location that it is best to start in where there is oh, more yeah. common waste? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, where, yeah, do, yeah. where do you, yeah, what? It's not, again, it's Alex, it's not going to be the answer you're going to think. You'd say, well, that company over there has more waste than that branch over there. And let's start in that branch. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the leader at that particular location. Is the leader open and vulnerable? Is the leader willing to confront their foolishness? Is the willing? Is the leader open to new ideas? You could have the biggest organization with the most waste and the leader thinks he's doing everything right or she's doing everything right. You're, you're beating your head against the wall. You got to find the ones that are most predisposed to change and are hungry or avarice for change. Yeah, I, that makes that makes so much sense right. uh, to to kind of and then you know make that buy in for them. So on the on the subject of waste, is that something that is you know it, it's certainly everywhere in a business, but is it more common on in inventory, customer service, sales, or does that change depending on the type of business and the type of uh, the type of leadership it may have? It's in every single bloody thing you do all day long, whether it be watering your plants, making your lunch, doing your laundry, shaving in the morning, mm. answering your emails, finding your car keys, answering uh, communications, uh, gathering information for your people within your company or outside your organization, ordering inventory, managing inventory. This waste is everywhere. And it's in everything you do. It's in, I'm a kite surfer. It's in the way you teach kite surfing. So, you know, the, the kite surfers that I work with, the instructors I work with, 80%, a minimum 80%, 90% of everything they do every day is complete and total waste. They are beating their heads against the wall and the student is getting nothing out of it. Zero. I'll give you an example of that for your listeners right now. So I just went out and we have a new methodology for teaching kite surfing and I'm a pseudo instructor. And up to this point, they always jump you in the water and they say, okay, now start working the kite, start working the kite. And I said, no. And I said to Joshua, do you understand what we're trying to do? And he said, no, not really. What do you think we're trying to do? Notice I'm asking questions, hmm. not giving all the answers. So, I was, well, I think we're trying to maneuver the kite. 
and we're, and we're trying to generate some power. Why? Why are we doing that? Because we want enough power to pull ourselves out of the water. And he says, but it's not working. And I said, do you know why it's not working? And I just kept asking questions, not giving him the answer, just asking questions. And I let him discover the answer of what was really going on. And the minute he discovered it, he grabbed hold of it tightly because he had deep understanding. He got in the water. And I'm telling you, in two hours, he accomplished what most people have accomplished in 40 hours. Wow. That is the level of waste. Now, every other instructor would have just said, get in there and start practicing. And I said, no, you're not going to get in that water till you understand really what you're doing and why you're doing it and what's going on. And he said to me on the way home in the car, because I ran in here, I was a few minutes late for this interview because I just got out of the water. And he said to me, it made all the difference in the world that you took the time to make sure that I deeply understood what it was I was trying to do. I said, that's lean thinking. If you're not a lean thinker, you can't see the waste. I see, I'm a lean thinker. So for me to watch all these kite instructors all over the world teach, teach kite instructors, I go, they don't get it. They don't understand. The student's not getting anything. They're wasting their time. They're just opening their mouth. So this waste is everywhere in everything. Everything you do is a process, whether it's kite surfing, whether it's making your lunch, whether it's gathering information, whether it's organizing your files on your computer, whether it's ordering inventory, whether it's making uh, a Tesla car, it's all waste. There's waste everywhere. And as a lean thinker, you just look at the processes that are going on. And you see the difference between where value and non-value is occurring. So in a kite surfing world, value is when the student's improving, when the student's actually doing something that causes them to understand what's going on. Could you agree with that? That would be value. Yeah. If the student gets in the water and is doing something and he's not getting any positive response and he's just being drugged across the water and drowning with salt water being rammed down his throat, but he has no clue why, how, and what, is that value? No, that's not value no, at all. It's no, it's no value at all. It's no value at all. But yet that's what all, they all do. That's what they all do. And they say that's a good lesson. Value is when you're actually changing something, when you're changing the behavior, the understanding of the student. So as a lean thinker, we focus on value and not just on activity. You uh, were previously on our on our YouTube channel. For those that haven't checked out Upflip on YouTube, please do. It's plenty of tons and tons of value uh, for small business owners and, and entrepreneurs. But you mentioned, Paul, uh, that it took about a year to see benefits from going lean. Uh, can you go into a bit more detail about what kind of resistance you got from team members and what other challenges there were when you first started going lean? Well, everyone thought I was crazy, number one, because <laughs> instead of working, I told them to stop working. So, you know, th that's the, this is a contrarian's way of running a company. So what's every owner want? Productivity, productivity. Get Turn those machines on, crank it out, get those packages out the door. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to start cleaning and making sure the bathroom's perfect, making sure everything's organized. And then after we spend a half hour doing that, then we're going to meet as a team and we're going to spend a half hour meeting as a team and we're going to talk about our problems. We're going to talk about our foolishness and we're going to look at other people's videos that have made improvements in their organization so we can learn from them. We're going to become a learning organization. And then after we spent an hour every day for the rest of our life growing our people, confronting our foolishness, then we're going to work. So what do you think? Think everybody just said, let's go. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> Everyone said, F you. I don't want to do any of this. You know what I mean? I mean, this is crazy. You hired me to work. I don't want to have to think. 
I don't have to think this deeply about everything. Oh, there are plenty of people that said, I do not want to do this. And there were a few that said, Nirvana. Finally, someone cares about what I think. And then we sorted through all the people, sweeping, sorting, standardized. We sorted through all the people. We said, we're going to change the people, change the thinking, or we're going to change the people. Okay, we sorted through all the people. We found the people that want to change, that want to learn, that want to confront their foolishness. And we took the people that didn't want to confront their foolishness, didn't want to change, didn't want to learn. And we said, you got to find another job. It was ugly. It was really ugly. Plenty of resistance, certainly. Uh, as other as you coach business owners uh, trying to go lean, uh, what are what is the most common mistake that they make? And how do how do people avoid it? Uh, and what, what should they do instead? Well, it's really, again, a, a super simple answer. The biggest common mistake is the leader says, go over there and change and improve that. Mm-hmm. When what they need to do is take the finger and point it right back at them and says, what are you changing, Paul? You need to change. You cannot delegate this. You cannot expect anybody to do anything you are not willing to do times 10. So the leader must lead by extraordinary example, incredible passion, incredible persistence and drive and resolve. This is the most common mistake. They look and they say, hey, I want you to start doing lean. I want you to start improving your area. Mr. President, what exactly have you improved today? You've 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 talked about it here um, a couple of, a couple of different ways and in uh, a couple of different uh, both in the positive and in the negative. Uh, clearly, the leader and the right leadership is super important when a company is going lean. Uh, what what are the traits of an exceptional lean leader, and how can a business owner develop those traits? Wow, that's a very good question. So, number one is humility. You know, the ability to be able to say, I didn't know that. If they can't, if they've always got to be the answer man, it's history. It won't, it'll never work. I'll give you a great story, great example. So I got an email from Kazakhstan. I didn't even know where Kazakhstan was. I was surfing down in Costa Rica. I get this email five, five years ago. And they say, can you come to Kazakhstan and speak to our executive team for a one-day lecture, eight hours a day? I don't even know where Kazakhstan is. <laughs> Look up Kazakhstan, and I say, sure. So next thing you know, two months later, I'm on a plane going to the frozen tundra. <laughs> Kazakhstan's like in Russia, near Russia. It was part of the Soviet Union. I mean, it's like going to Siberia. It's like crazy. And this company has 7,000 employees, the largest construction company in the country. And I speak for eight hours to 100 of their top executives at a resort. And when the whole thing was done, the president of the company, Aiden, gets up in front of the stage, in front of a hundred of his leaders and says, I can't believe I didn't know about this. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. He could have said, yeah, I've heard about this. I've studied it in Harvard. I went to Harvard. I know about this. I know about lean manufacturing. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't know about this. Mm -hmm. It is that ability to just kind of like go, what was I thinking? How could I be so stupid? That is the number one characteristic. And let me tell you, there aren't very many people that can do that, Mm. unfortunately. 
That's why I say it's only for 2% of the people in the world. There's just, a, you know, I, I talk to thousands of people all the time, and I know that there's only going to be a small handful of people in the audience that are going to get this. And those people are going to get such extraordinary results. They're going to change the world. They're going to change their community. They're going to change their cities. And that's exactly what's happening globally around the world with Two Second Lean. It's just incredible. But I know I never focus on the people who are not going to get it. I just try to find those people who are going to get it. And I can, I can spot them a mile away. It's uh, it's you're sorting again, right? Is the, the it's exactly sweeping sort. I I do it. All, I do. I use this three S in everything I do. Like, yeah. like I said, I use it kite surfing. I mean, I'm just constantly looking at where's the value, where's not. I'm three S'ing it. I'm looking, getting rid of the crap, only focusing on the value, making sure everything's organized. I never go on like when I'm working with a student. I never. I, I say mastery. I never go from one thing to the next with them until they've mastered and they have deep understanding, deep knowledge of how the kite works, for instance. Or if I'm teaching tennis, the same thing. Deep understanding of what the swing looks like and why we're doing it. Because if you just keep adding all these things in and they don't have deep understanding, it's just a big jumbled mess. But 3Sing forces you to make sure everything is set in order that there's just clarity in everything you do. So we talked about the incredible benefits of going lean, uh, but are there any risks or downsides? Um, and are there any businesses or industries where going lean is more difficult or maybe wouldn't be a good idea? No, I don't think there's a single industry anywhere, anything that lean would not be a good idea. It's, it's, it's a fabulous idea and it's a fabulous model and it works and it's been tried successfully. Two second lean, it's been tried successfully in everything from government to, to hospitals, to uh, real estate agents, to attorney's offices. Uh, I mean, to shoemakers. I'm talking to a shoemaker this morning in Ukraine. I mean, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't PPP manufacturers in Ireland. It works everywhere and with everything. The, what are the risks? The risks are that if you are not 100% committed to do it, if you start and stop, you will do more damage to your organization than if you would not even have started. You will, you will, you will imbue more skepticism into the leadership's ability to actually follow through. So you better be in Espanol, I'm in, I'm in Mexico, 100%, 100% that you are not going to give up. So a couple of different kind of follow-up questions to that. Uh, I guess first, uh, and you've, you've talked about it a little bit in your digital life, but can you talk about uh, applying 3Sing to uh, intangible things. So, so, you know, there's a very obvious way to do it on the factory floor, on the manufacturing floor. Uh, but talk about going through a, for a business that doesn't manufacture a tangible item necessarily, how might they start applying 3S? Well, uh, the best example, uh, if this is good, you tell me like, how about software? Is that tangible or non-tangible? Yeah, I would call that non-tangible. It's not okay, a, good. It's okay. not a table. So, there, there's a company that started two second lean about eight or nine, ten years ago. I don't know. Emergency reporting system. They make software for fire departments, police departments, for uh, recording the reports and, and things that go on in every transaction or every event and those. And Dave Adams is the president. And when he looked at it, he said, you know, they were going through these processes of developing the software and improving the software. 
And he really looked at how long it was taking them to actually do something. And, you know, it's taking four or five weeks to make simple changes. And he, and he started looking at all the waste and the rework and the defects that were created, not delivering to the customer what the customer wanted when the customer wanted it. And it just, they, they were back and forth. Rework is a big part of, of lean. You know, when you do something, then you have to redo it. And he, he realized and he taught his people to start looking for waste in just the de- software development process. Within the first year, he cut the whole process in half, and he's been doing it for 10 years, and they're just constantly changing that equation because they're constantly changing the way they look at things. So I'll give you an, I can give you another example. There's a company I just interviewed the other day. They make electronic componentry, and they write code for electronic componentry in Ireland. And they realize that the customer would come to them and say, hey, we want this, this, and this. And then the engineers would go look up this transistor and this this uh, semiconductor or whatever it was they were putting together this electronic component. And what was happening was every time that a new project came on, they were opening their catalog and there was a list of like 30 or 40 different kinds of the same thing. And every one of those had a small nuance on how you wrote the code for it to make it do what you wanted to do. So it was taking them five and six weeks to write the code for this stuff. And what they did is they standardized the module, the transistor, the microprocessor that they use in all their development system. So now the code was always standardized in the way it was written. And then when the customer came back and said, I want to change this or I want to modify this, the engineer was not, the software engineer was not looking at the modular and trying to understand the modular. He was deeply familiar with the module because they use that standard module through everything. And prior to being a lean thinker, they kind of let that, well, you know, this guy likes to use this one. This guy kind of likes to use this one. Then the software would cut the, the, the thing would come back and say, we wanted to do this now. Then that engineer was not familiar with it because they didn't write it. And the waste was massive. So they applied 3S to that concept, and the rest is history. Did I make any sense what I just said? No, yeah. Yeah, and I, sort of the same question, but about you know a service business. I'd love to hear examples of lean principles applied to uh, somebody to a company in the service industry. Well, how about Chick-fil-A? You know Chick-fil-A? Ooh, that's a great example. That's a delicious Chick-fil-A. example is what that I is. I know, and Chick-fil-A <laughs> is one of the top companies out there, and they do two-second lean, and they're constantly getting their people to come up with processes to mistake-proof and color code and make visual controls for everything they do from how they make a sandwich to how they clean the toilet. And they're a service industry. So the, the I, you know, there's lots of videos that Chick-fil-A has done on all their processes, and it's just nonstop to how they answer and take an order to how they uh, make a filet sandwich with with a special condition because someone's allergic to something. They have literally looked at everything and saying, oh, well, every time we do this, this person does it this way, this person does it this way. Now we have a defect, we have a rework, customer comes back, not satisfied, the mayonnaise got put on, the mustard got put on, and always put it on one side. And they said, no, what, why is this waste occurring? What, what is creating this defect? And their people, their ground level people came up with solutions and then they deploy those solutions throughout the organization. All right, Paul, this is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call the Fan Blitz Questions. 
So right. these are coming from our YouTube channel. Uh, for, so if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, again, make sure you do check it out, Upflip on YouTube. Uh, but these questions come directly from there in the comments on past videos from you or from other videos that uh, we think you are the right person to answer this question. So we're going to go a little bit rapid fire here. Uh, short answers, 20 seconds each uh, for for these questions. All right. Here we go. Uh, I wish we had a timer. We could put up a big clock for you. Uh, See, that's easy. I have my wa- Apple Watch. It's oh, done. Oh, perfect. Here we go. It's, uh, it's done just like that. You got it. Go ahead. 20 seconds. All right. Michael Flugos is asking, how do you apply lean manufacturing to a $500,000 landscape business trying to hit the $1 million mark? First thing you do, Michael, is you quit worrying about the $1 million mark. That's the stupidest thing you'll ever do in your life. The only thing you should be worried about, Michael is operational excellence, getting everything in your processes to be so amazing, so fluid, so absolutely streamlined and elegant that it would be impossible for you not to hit 5 million because every customer will look at the way you treat them, the way you do your work, and again, the efficiency of what you do, and they will be beating down your door. You're worrying about the wrong thing. The million-dollar mark is the wrong question, the wrong target. Focus on operational excellence. There you go. I did it. Love Next it. Question. All right. Here we go. Michelle Moonen is asking, I uh, started teaching lean at a technical university level in Belgium. What is the main idea or principle about lean thinking you would like to instill in students, the future workforce? That lean thinking is about loving people, appreciating humanity. A lean leader looks at a human being and says, how can I enrich their life? How can I create an environment where they are improving as a human being? They go home at the end of the day, tapping their fingers on the steering wheel, saying, I got the greatest boss in the world. I work at the greatest company in the world. They respect me. They respect people. They respect resources. All right, here we go. Next one. Robert Jackson wants to know, how has going lean impacted your employee retention? What's the turnover in your company in an average year? I would say it's probably about 10 to 20% right in there, high, much higher than I would like it to be. But lean has affected that number dramatically. People don't want to leave because we have tons of long-term people that have been there. The reason why the turnover is what it is is because we live in a transient world. We live in a world where people, you know, we have a lot of young people that work for us and they're just out of high school and they don't know what they're going to do. They work for for two years, their life changes. They decide they want to move to Indiana or Texas or they want to go go to school somewhere else because they want they get their head screwed on straight. I have no control over that. There isn't anything in my company that's going to make that change. It's just the way society is at this current time. But our retention rate is amazing compared to what it used to be prior to lean, which was a total nightmare. And finally, one last question here in the Fan Blitz section uh, from Alex. What are your top three business books that had the biggest impact on your business? No, well, there's no question at all. Good to Great was number one. Hmm. And Jim Collins, that book rocked my world. The interesting thing about it is right after I read Good to Great, uh, I learned about the Toyota production system. And so the Toyota Way was very powerful, though Toyota Way is a very complicated book. So let me put the Toyota Way side away and just say, number one, Good to Great. Number two, The Elegant Solution by Matthew E. May. This is a story of how Toyota did what they did. That's a powerful one. And insanely simple. There's your top three. The story of Steve Jobs and how Apple created, you know, the most powerful company in the world and the biggest company in the world 
based on really the idea that simplicity attracts, complexity repels. That's incredible. Um, that is just such a, such a powerful concept. Uh, that concludes our Fan Blitz questions. I've got a few more questions for you here before we finish up this episode. Um, how do you identify points in your process where you can be more lean? Uh, what, so what, is the, what are those actual steps of identifying something as waste and inefficiency? And then how do you then, you know... Yeah, well, that's, again, fix? one of the easiest questions for me to answer and one of the simplest answers in the world. And I talk about this in my book. It's a chapter, Fix What Bugs You. Every day we all perform processes. You performed a whole plethora of processes to prepare for this podcast, whether it be how you contacted me, whether or not how you organize your files, the number of clicks on your computer to get everything queued up. Everything was not perfect. It's just impossible. So wherever you find a source or a problem that bothers you, that is the precise place where you should stop. Hmm. We say we create a stop culture. We stop. And we say, how could we improve that? That's all you need to do. And there's not one person that's listening to this right now, and there's not one person alive of the 7 billion people on this planet that don't have something that bugs you. And that exact thing that bugs you is the exact thing you should work on, it, but it cannot be somebody else. It has to be you and the processes that you established and the processes that you created. So from, from that answer, uh, it feels like once you start lean thinking, it's impossible to think lean in your business, but not in your personal life? Oh, um, oh. Is there, are there any things people should keep in mind as they look at things in their personal life once they start thinking lean? Or yeah, just absolutely. Number one it? is don't, don't, don't look at the waste in your wife and your children and your cat and your dog. You got all, you got enough waste for 10 years, for 10 lifetimes. So don't even remotely think that you're going to go home and tell your wife, oh, you need to get lean. The, the problem is all you. Just focus on you. Shut your mouth and fix your stuff. That's the number one thing. And, and you'd be a foolish not to adopt this in your life and in your home and your business and everything because it just... We love this word. I love this word called felicity, something that just brings you happiness, natural happiness. When things work right... So when I go to wash my car in my home, I have a car washing station set up and Everything is exactly where it needs to be. The floor cleaner, the, the car wax, everything's organized. When I go to get the vacuum cleaner, everybody else in the world unwinds the stupid hose and then plugs in the vacuum cleaner. I have my hose on a reel that I made. I actually developed a reel and I just pull it out and I have a remote on the end of the vacuum. On the end of the vacuum, I hit the button. The vacuum goes on automatically. I vacuum the car. I want to stop because i got to do something. I hit the button. I don't get out of the car and walk back to the vacuum cleaner and then walk back, which is all non-value. Just turn it off. The vacuum stops. It's not screaming. There's no noise. And then I hit the button and I continue on. So when I wash my car, it's felicity. It's total happiness. Everything works perfect. My pressure washer, I don't have a pressure washer hose that I have to wind up on a thing. It's on a, it's on a, a commercial uh, uh, hose dispenser. I just take the thing, I just like this, and it just winds up in seconds. There is zero struggle, zero. It's just perfect. That's uh, what it looks like. And I mean, I love my life. I love everything I do. And, you know, I go on my refrigerator right now 
my vegetables are organized in individual bins. I got these little clear plastic bins. So I have the, the vegetables in one. I have the onions in another. I have the cheese in another. I have the fruit in another. So everything's organized. So when I go in my refrigerator, instead of digging like everybody else, mm-hmm. there's no digging. I got all these plastic bins. Everything's perfectly organized. I pull out the cheese bin. I got the four different cheeses in there. I'm not digging through a drawer trying to figure out, is the cheese in the back? Is it moldy? Is it, it's like felicity. It's like total joy and happiness. Yeah. I mean that, and that, and I, you know, even just thinking through that, as you, as you mentioned that, which I think is the wrong way of thinking, uh, is that I was like, oh yeah. And then your fridge is open for less time, which is going to lower your energy costs, which is going to do, you're a lean thinker. You're a lean thinker. You're a lean thinker. You totally get it. That is exactly right. And most people just can't realize that it matters how long your refrigerator is open. Yeah. Because "Ah, what's, what's 12 cents here? Uh, so diving diving back into uh, looking at kind of business side of things, what does it look like on the the human resources side? Like, what is a lean hiring process? Oh God, that, that now you you gave me the biggest softball of all because that's my favorite question that people ask me. We don't accept resumes. Resumes are all BS. It's all lies. We would never accept a resume for anyone. That's just a bunch of people telling me a bunch of crap that's not true. Everyone that contacts us and people contact us from around the world, everyone wants to work for us. I get resumes from India, from from uh, Russia. It's just nonstop. Everyone wants to come to work for us. So I say, take your phone, hold it horizontally, not vertically. You've sent it vertically. I won't look at it. Horizontally, spend one to two minutes and tell me about yourself and send it to me on WhatsApp, Signal, or Boxer. That's it. And then if we like them, then we call them in for an interview if we like them still at the interview and it looks like there's a good fit for us culturally, we're not high. We hire for character, teach for skill, hire for character, teach for skill, because our processes are so good. We can teach anybody to do anything because mm-hmm. our processes are not complicated. We make everything so easy. Anybody can do anything. So everybody's cross-trained. Everyone can move anywhere in the organization. So we bring them in for one day. We pay them. We let them work with our team. We have four or five people work with them. At the end of the end of the day, we bring in the four or five people that work with them. Say, would you hire them? Would you hire them? And if not, we don't get 100%, we're not going to hire them. If we get 100%, we offer them to come back for one week and we pay them for the one week. Everyone's watching them. At the end of one week, we bring everybody in that work with them and we say, would you hire them? Notice no, no HR department. We do tens of billions of dollars. We should have an HR department. The people who are working with them are making the decision. They know what kind of character they need to work side by side with. And if they say good, we hire them. How do you create that? I mean, maybe it is in that, in that hiring process already. It's all built. It's all baked in. But how do you create that culture of innovation and openness to new ideas in a business? And how do you make sure employees feel, feel free to speak up and share their, their thoughts? Well, it's, 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 it's who we are, 100%. I mean, every day, we want to hear your ideas. We want to hear your problems. And leadership from top to bottom is helping them solve those problems and make those improvements. So that's what we do. I mean, so it's it's part of our culture. It's impossible for that not to be imbued in you instantly when you walk in the door because everything's so dramatically different. All of a sudden, you have a problem and the, the your leader or your supervisor says, well, how can we improve that? And they go, what? You mean you want to know how I'm going to prove it? You're not going to send it to the engineering team? No, I want to know how you would improve that. Mm. They immediately get it instantly. And are you, uh, is it a combination of training and hiring or is it making sure, you know, that hiring process seems to speak to this, but helping employees to, to understand spotting problems and correcting issues, um, like how much of that is baked into training and how much is hiring? No, it's, it's 99% training. 
we, we have to hire the right person who's curious enough to ask the questions that is comfortable with change. Most people are not comfortable with change. This is the way I was taught to do it. This is the way I want to do it. No, no, no. At FastCap, it's like we're changing everything all the time. So the number one characteristic is they have to be willing to change. They have to be comfortable with change. Most people are not. Even a lot of the people we hire are not like really comfortable, but they have enough comfort with it that we can train them to be super comfortable. And then beyond that, once they have at least a modicum of that characteristic, then we can train them on our daily with our daily morning meetings on how to be good at spotting waste and making improvements and making change. So it's, the training is massive. You've talked a lot about the both the need to be confident in the lean process uh, and push through some of those, especially early day challenges, um, mm-hmm. but also needing to be a very humble leader. How do you balance confidence and humility as a business leader? Well, you balance confidence because you're an historian, you're a person who is well-read. You're a person who understands the laws of nature. And you approach life through that filter. You have a deep understanding of humanity and what's transpired over the last 10,000 years and why we are in the situation we're in today and how we got here. So you have those basic concepts that allow you to have intense confidence. But at the same time, you're, you're... keenly aware in a historical standpoint that people who are refusing, who who have refused to learn from their mistakes are going to repeat their mistakes. And you don't want to be in that camp. So you need to be a leader that's humble enough to say, wow, I thought that would work, but it didn't work very well. What did I do wrong? And what can I learn from that? You follow what I'm saying? So a classic example would be Winston Winston Churchill, my hero. You know, he made some pretty... uh, big mistakes in World War One, And he took that information and he learned significantly from it. And we know what happened in World War II mm-hmm. under his leadership, uh, basically the savior of the free world. And uh, he learned. He learned from his mistakes. One last question here for you from uh, listener Jim Faust. Uh, he wants to know if you're not making things about profit, uh, how do you go about setting profit? Uh, prices. What's the, how do you, what is a lean version of price setting? Well, I didn't say that you don't need to make profit or that profit's not important. I just said, it's not your KPI. Mm-hmm. We all have to make profit. We have to turn on the lights. We have to, you know, we have to pay for the truck, the fuel, the gas, the paper, the paper clips and everything else. I mean, we have to make profit. So if Jim is asking me, what is a typical model or margin for a product, I could answer that question. I'll give you the the answer that Dave Lepke gave me 22 years ago. Dave Lepke was a very successful, he's a friend of mine, but he's also a very successful entrepreneur, started a company and thousands of employees. And when I started FastCap, I said, Dave, what is the appropriate margin? How much do I charge? And he said, well, Paul, I can only tell you just as a rule of thumb, it's something called the keystone margin. If it costs you a dollar to make it, you ideally want to sell it for for two dollars. You want to double double that, and that should cover the overhead and expenses and things like that. Now, that doesn't always work out. A lot of times, margins are much smaller than that. But as a general rule of thumb, as a manufacturer, as someone who develops products, that is a comfortable model to work with. I want to 
be charged what I think makes sense. So I'll say to my customers, because my customers helped me develop my product, I said, Bob, Ralph, Mary, if a rep walked into you with this fast cap product and they said, this product does this, this, and this, and you look and go, man, that is really cool. What is the price point that you would say that that is a really good value? And I feel comfortable opening my wallet right now and purchasing that product. Mm. I put it right back to the customer and they say 19 bucks or $29. And I get a consensus from my customers on what they think is a fair price. And then I work from that standpoint on what I'm going to sell the product for. Because if the customer doesn't feel I'm being fair to them, what's the point? Wow, that's that's incredible. Paul, you've shared some some incredible insights in this episode. Uh, I hope that our our listeners feel feel that way as well. Uh, but thank you so much for, for sitting down with us for this interview. My pleasure. Uh, and for everybody else out there, if you're looking for more entrepreneur interviews, check out the Upflip YouTube channel where you can learn advice from business leaders and get an inside look at their operations. You can also check out the posts on the Upflip blog where we share even more resources and interviews that aren't featured in our video and podcast. And make sure you tune in every Monday morning for a new episode of this podcast. So we will be here on Monday and we'll see you then. I'm Alex Freeman. This has been the Upflip podcast. Thank you all. Thank you all.